Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor Tim Barone at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. I encourage you to uh, open the Bible up uh, to Jonah 3. It will be on the screen, but always useful to, to look in the Bible itself. Uh, Today we're focusing on the prophet Jonah, and especially looking at the comparison of uh, Jonah and his heart between God and the heart of God, and eventually thinking about the person of Jesus and how he is far greater than Jonah. Uh, We begin in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? This is God's holy word. So we see this amazing uh, climax of the story of Jonah. And you know the story, of course. Jonah is sent to Nineveh. Nineveh is a great city. But it's also a terribly violent city. It's one of the seats of power of Assyria. And it's a threat to Israel. 
But God sends Jonah to Nineveh to declare uh, judgment of God upon Nineveh. And Jonah, of course, finds a boat and goes the exact opposite way. And God says, oh, no, you don't. Sends a storm. Jonah is thrown into the sea. Uh, And a fish, a a great fish, miraculously uh, picks up Jonah, saves his life, and then vomits him back onto shore uh, after Jonah repents of that action. And then God tells him to do it again, and he does. And that's where we picked up today. And he goes and preaches to this city. And we see how the city actually repents. The city and its king and its nobles, they all repent. And um, God relents of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And Jonah is upset about this. It's a really interesting story, and it's really uh, interestingly crafted as more than just a Sunday school story, but it that digs deep into our own hearts and what we think about our God and what we think about our enemies and what we think about reconciliation and repentance. Uh, today, I'm going to bring up three reasons why I think Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, what kept him from going and uh, pronouncing to this city that they should repent. And we'll see some of that in the text as well. And then we're going to think about how Jonah compares to Jesus and his work of reconciling the world to God. And so the first thing I think that Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh is Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he doesn't want to be a failure. Now, in your life, in your work, in your family, and whatever tasks you have, nobody wants to go and just know the high percentage chance that they are going to fail at that, what they have chosen to do. Um, it's difficult as well as a pastor. You think, I would rather preach to people who like me than people who are going to throw stuff at me. Um, but if you think, I have an insurmountable task... I'm not really lining up to do that. I would rather be successful in my life. I don't know about you. I would rather have honor instead of shame. Um, I would rather be liked and appreciated instead of hated. How about you? You feel that? I think this is Jonah too. He wants to be liked. He wants to be on the honorable side of things. He's a a prophet in Israel. He's preaching and teaching people. He's telling them God's word. And especially at that time in Israel, he's trying to help them shore up their defenses and stay on guard against the Assyrians and these impending threats. And God says, okay, stop what you're doing, preaching to your people, your crowd, where you're liked, you're admired, you're part of an important circle, and go to Nineveh where the Assyrians are, this great city. The Assyrians are known for violence. Uh, They um, are a violent culture. They worship other gods. Um, They worship, you know, Ishtar, Nineveh. In Nahum chapter 3, there's a, a pronouncement of woe against Nineveh. It says, woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. Do you want to go there? (laughs) 
No, Jonah didn't either, right? Jonah does not want to go into a city full of violent people who will hate him and start preaching that they should repent. He's not going to be popular, he figures. He figures he might even get killed for this action. And so that's the first reason. There is danger. And if we think about, well, what's, what's underneath that is an idol of self. That in Jonah's heart... He really wants to be a big deal. In Jonah's heart, he really wants to be important. He wants to be successful. He would rather be successful and look important than be obedient to God. This can keep us from doing God's will too. We can say, no, I think I'll pass on what God is calling me to do because I would rather be important. I would rather look good. I'd rather avoid the spectacle. I would rather avoid being um, filled with failure. When we think about Jesus, what about Jesus? Where does he go? Jesus was sent into the world. The world that hated him, he was sent to them. He was sent to people who would reject him, his own people. They would reject him. He wept knowing that Jerusalem was the city that would kill the prophets. But he still went willingly. Willingly to his enemies. Willingly to those who would reject him, who would spit upon him. Who would tear him apart with whips. Who would crucify and kill him. This is all because He was more interested in obedience to God than in his own personal success, in his own popularity. He was willing to pay this price. There's a poignant moment in the Gospel of John where some Greeks come to talk to Jesus. And in the middle of this conversation, he begins to cry out to God, his Father. And this is what he says. He says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Jesus knew that his hour meant death. His hour meant suffering. His hour meant rejection and betrayal and all of the tragic things we see in his last days. And yet he went anyway. He went willingly. He knew this is why he was called And so he went. In the book of Hebrews, it says that we are to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Unlike Jonah, and a lot of times unlike us, Jesus shows us what perfect courage looks like. He shows us what obedience to the Father looks like. Jesus did exactly what God the Father asked him to to do for the joy that was set before him, which was the reconciliation of the world to God the Father. He knew it would take his blood to do this. He was the man. He was the one that God had called to do this. And Jesus' courage and determination was what drove him to the cross 
to do the Father's will. Jesus is a better prophet than Jonah. There's a second reason, I think, that Jonah did not want to go uh, to Nineveh. And that's, it didn't serve his nationalistic goals. Israel was expanding. Things were going well. They were threatened by larger forces, but they were waging wars to push their boundaries away. And I think Jonah loved this and preached for this. He actually even ignored the sins of kings because they were doing a good job at this. Jonah wanted his people to thrive. He wanted his earthly nation to do well. And so he was thinking, I'm not going to go help these other people, these Ninevites, these people outside of my tribe, outside of my clan. I don't want anything to do with that. I want my people to flourish. When Jesus came into this world, he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. He was sent to the people of God. But actually beyond that too, he was also sent to the whole world. Listen to what it says in Isaiah. It says this, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings just, uh, justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. One of the perennial disappointments of the disciples, with Jesus' actions, the confusion of the Jewish leaders about Jesus, is he kept hanging out with Gentiles. And he kept going to their tables, and he kept healing them. They were confused by this because the Jewish people were supposed to pretty much stay away from the Gentiles. But if you read the Gospels, who were the ones who Jesus healed? So often it was the Gentiles, those outsiders. Who were the ones that Jesus praised their faith. Read the Gospel of Mark. You'll see it everywhere. It's the outsiders. It's the ones who don't belong to the Jewish people. He praises their faith as he beckons to them and calls to them. Jonah had no interest in going outside of his group. He didn't want God to be merciful to the outsiders. He wanted the insiders to win. And this can be in our hearts too that we're more interested in just what God might be doing with us, with our people, even with our nation. We don't see the bigger picture that God is up to, that he wants the whole world. And so whether or not we can say this out loud, we struggle with people who don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't have the same food and language as us. We can easily think that salvation is for people with our culture and not with, for people that don't have our culture. And I think especially if we uh, let go of what God has said about salvation, we can easily find ourselves chasing after national success over the kingdom of God. 
because we can't tell the difference between which one's which. God desires the entire world to be his own. He desires us to be a new nation. He desires to not have these boundaries of nations cause us to have loyalties that go beyond his kingdom. Who did Jesus command us to baptize? All nations. It's hard to imagine the shock that would have been to the disciples at that time. That God was expanding the borders of his people to all people. What do we see in the book of Revelation? It's a group of people not able to be numbered. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue. People of all different sorts worshiping the Lamb of God. 1 Peter 2 declares that we have been the recipients of those who are outsiders who have now become insiders. It says this, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jonah did not want God's boundaries to expand to the Ninevites. And we need to be cautious about that too, because we were once outsiders. We were once those who did not belong. And yet God sent his son to redeem us and to give us mercy and to wash us into the person of Jesus Christ so that we could be the people of God as well. Jesus is a much better prophet than Jonah, one who willingly goes to the outsiders. The third reason I think Jonah didn't want to go and tell them to repent is because he thought he was morally superior to them. He thought he had just a little bit more of God's favor, a little bit more character. Those Assyrians were violent people. They were angry people. They were those that really just had lost their way. It would be good, Jonah thought, if God just went ahead and wiped them off the map. We would be better for that. Jonah thought, yeah, I, you know, I know what it means to be with God, and I'm just going to keep trying harder. I'm going to do better, and I'm going to be a little bit morally superior. God will appreciate my efforts, and they'll get what they deserve. We can be this way too, I think. We can all think there are people that God just cannot get to. There are people who just will never come into God's kingdom because they're just too messy, they're just too soiled. They'll never come and sit in the pews with us. They'll never wear the tie, the coat. They'll never behave the ways we wish they would behave. And so they're just a little bit out of reach. And we can forget, like Jonah, that even the people of Israel were chosen by grace alone. Jonah didn't do anything specific to make God love him more than the Ninevites. The people of Israel were chosen by God. Abraham was a pagan. He didn't know the ways of God. He didn't have the law in front of him. And yet God chose him by grace. 
This is what the book of Romans was all about. God choosing people for his namesake by grace that they might be saved through faith. And so Jonah was thinking, you know what? God chose me because I'm such a good orator, and maybe it's because I'm such a good swimmer. I don't know. But he didn't choose them because they are not those things. And so he just had a religious idol in his heart. He forgot that he himself was saved by grace. When Jesus came into this world, he taught us what true morality is like. Let me remind you of what he says in the Sermon of the Mount. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus teaches us that true morality, true following what God has called us to do, looks like loving your enemies. It looks like loving with a pure heart those who will never love you. Jonah was saying, I don't think so. I'm not going to love these people who are never going to love me. I'm better than them. And so I'll love my own people, but not them. But when Jesus came into this world, he shows us the true heart of God. The true heart of God is laying down his life for enemies. There are those that crucified Jesus that would never be saved their hearts would never be changed. They would never be moved. They would never say, ah, this is Jesus, the Son of God. Many did, but there are many who didn't. But Jesus died for them anyway. Jesus laid down his life for them anyway. It was a complete loss, but he did it in love. Similarly with the Heavenly Father, he continues to send his blessings on this earth both to people who try hard to do what is right, to do righteous things, and those who do not. Those who love God and those who scorn him. The Father continues to send his blessings. So does Jesus. Jonah would cut the people of Nineveh off because they weren't like him and they weren't trying. But God did not. Jesus embodied the very person of God and showed us what this looks like when he laid down his life, when he washed his disciples' feet. He saved and loved the people that no one wanted to love. No one thought could be saved. He did it anyway. There's a, a movie coming out pretty soon called The Jesus Movement. And it looks like to be a pretty good movie, but it's about a pastor who ends up uh, going and sharing the gospel 
with a bunch of hippies. That's basically the movie. Maybe some of you live through this. I don't know. My parents talk about it sometimes. But there's uh, one character in the movie, a real person, his name is Lonnie Frisbee, and I was listening to one of his conversations. I was interested in the movie, so I was listening to uh, some recordings of this man talking, and he was saying, you know, God is using the foolish things to to shame the wise, and no one thought that the hippies could be saved, but this is where God is doing his work among the hippies. And there's all kinds of problems uh, of bringing the cultures together. And people didn't see it coming, but God went to those who were unlikely, who didn't seem to be the, the appropriate ones, the ones who would make it. And he was saving them, and he was bringing them to salvation. Look with me, or I'll, I'll read it with you again. Uh, Jonah's heart. Just see it. It's at the end of this book where Jonah really reveals his motivation for running away. After the people of Nineveh relented and God relented of his disaster, Jonah was displeased and he prayed to God and revealed his heart. And he said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That Uh, That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. And therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. It's an amazing moment of honesty. He says, God, I didn't want to go to the Ninevites because I knew your character. Did you catch it? I didn't want to go and help these people because I knew you would be helpful to them. I didn't want them to repent because I knew you would have mercy on them. And so I didn't go. And so I didn't reconcile. Jesus embodies this very heart of God to go. To go to the ones that God wants to save. Because he is the heart of God. He is the mercy of God. He is the long-suffering love of God, quick to show mercy to those who are sinners and enemies. Jesus is a much better prophet than Jonah, But more than that, Jesus is not only the prophet that calls us to repent, but he is the means by which we might be reconciled. He is the one who takes your place and my place. He is the one who takes the nails and the spear. He is the one who makes it possible that you might be forgiven and free before God. Uh, recently, I've been watching some dog training videos. What do you do on your weekend? But there is one dog trainer. He goes by, his name is Dog Daddy. Pretty interesting. But he goes to the worst dogs you can imagine. Dogs that are just about to be euthanized. They've bit some people. They're aggressive. Nobody wants to adopt them. 
He goes to the worst dogs possible and he begins to train them. And it's kind of scary to watch because he'll grab this leash and have it about two feet of of length on on the leash. And the dogs are almost always just trying to tear him apart. They're leaping at him and trying to snap at him and bite him. And he just patiently holds them. He's kind of aggressive with them too, pushes them around, pulls their leash down, pulls it up. He won't let them bite him. And then he starts to touch them in, in their side and their head where they can't When they're trying to bite him over here, he'll touch them here. And eventually he wears them out. And their their attack begins to stop and slow. And they realize they can't get away from this guy. And he can touch them as often as he wants. And they're making no progress in getting to him. And as soon as they figure out that they can't do him any harm, but also that he's not doing uh, them any harm, they calm down. And they no longer try to attack. And they no longer struggle. And immediately they begin to obey his commands. And he's explaining what he was doing. He says, these dogs are fearful. And they've learned that if they're aggressive enough, people will leave them alone. People won't help them. And they'll be safe. And they've learned that. And they've been doing it for so long, they think they can get away with it with anybody. Here's what I want you to think about. There are many people in this world, and in fact, you might be a person like this, that has learned the ways of fear so well that you will always fight, you will always snarl, you will always attack when God comes with his mercy. And it's only when we see his persistent long-lasting love that never gives up, that never turns us away, that does anything for us, then we begin to lose our fear. We begin to trust the one who would give up even his very blood for us. There are those who are in this world who would never believe that God could be merciful to them. And they've learned to be fearful They've learned to be angry, and they've condemned themselves to a life without God. And they think, I'm just going to work myself to death, or I'm just going to drink myself to death, or I'm just going to smoke myself to death, because I don't see any hope, and I don't see anyone who can get past this, and I've learned to be aggressive. But Jesus shows us the heart of God. And that even when people are like that, he comes to them. He goes right into their problem, right into their violence, right into their hatred, and he lays down his life for them. This is the heart of God shown to us. Jonah was forced to see it, and I think he did see it in the end. But Jesus is a much greater prophet than Jonah. He shows us the true heart of God, which is laying down his life for the sake of those around him. Long-suffering love, mercy for sinners. May we all be reconciled to this living God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.